Mad Men Happy Hour, the officially unofficial podcast for Mad Men on AMC. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And this week we're covering Season 6, Episode 5, entitled The Flood. Uh, let's start it off as we always do. I'm going to ask you what you thought of the episode. Hmm. I'm going to give it a 9. All right. I feel on like the I've same given, page. I've given, I've given this a steady stream of 9s this season. Right. It's but been it's, an excellent season so far. Yeah, I'm just I'm waiting for someone to kill Lane Price or approach that <laughs> level. Yeah, uh, I'm right with you with the nine. Why did you give it a nine? Um, I just thought there was a lot of truth in this episode. Like I found mm-hmm. myself uh, really relating to a lot of the things that happened, and I don't know how much of that I'm going to end up sharing, but. I just, at least three different times while I was watching this, I'm like, fuck, I have felt that feel. I know what this is like and allowed me to identify with some characters that surprised me um, and kind of challenged me in some ways. Uh, mm-hmm. I liked, I don't think, I think that's one thing Mad Men has not done really well is talk about uh, race uh, it's been kind of the, the the elephant in the room that's gotten short shrift, and I felt like this felt very real. The yeah. wide spectrum of reactions, and you know, uh, and, and it also reminded me of how little progress we've made in some areas. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I should start off the episode with the preface that, yeah, I'm a white dude in America, so like, I don't know any of what i'm talking about with this plus i wasn't alive at the time so it's like how am i qualified in any way to speak on this uh so i i mean i'm gonna i did a lot of reading uh when it came to this episode just to try to figure (laughs) out like kind of the background what was going on at the time uh because i'll be honest i didn't know much about it like it's something that hadn't really come up much in my life um so i went out and like researched a whole bunch and i feel like i have a pretty okay understanding of of what went on now um but i'm sure i'm gonna fuck things up and people feel feel free to correct me um one thing i wanted to uh real quick is to kind of apologize if the audio quality on my end is not quite up to snuff i'm in the process of moving from the bald cave to the bald tower in cincinnati so I'm using my remote setup, and also I've had a very limited connection to the internet. I haven't had nearly as much time as I'd like to read up and research, but I'm going to try to make it up by bringing a personal thunder. We'll see okay. how it works. Next week will be better. Yeah. Uh, the, I guess the reason why I like this so much is because um, they they really approached this um, event through the eyes of the characters and it and it brought certain characters together it divided other characters um it, it brought a lot of personal stuff into the equation here not just uh, as as like Seppenwall said in his review uh characters kind of looking at the watching the news looking at the screen and trying to process these events they were actually their lives were affected by these things in more personal ways sure um, so that's what I really enjoyed about the episode. And then there's the stuff that 
I'm sure you're probably going to talk about with like Bobby and Don and stuff like that. So that that really brought some thunder at the end of this episode. <laughs> sure. Uh, but let's take it from the top. Let's start at the beginning with the recap. Uh, first scene is Peggy looking through her uh, apartment window on the Upper East Side. Or, well, her soon-to-be apartment, hopefully. She hopes. Oh, don't don't get any spoilers, Jim. <laughs> oh, right. Remember, yeah. people always listen to this podcast concurrently with their watch of Mad Men. Yeah, all right. If you haven't seen this episode, you're about to get spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she's looking to buy this apartment. Um, the, they make a mention of the Second Avenue subway, and this is one of the things that I actually researched. Me too. Uh, very, very lightly, though. Um, just enough to know that this was a subway project that was proposed in the 1920s. And at that time, even at that time, it was kind of a joke. Although they were talking about actually doing it at that point. But then, like, in 1972 or something, it was it was canceled. Like, the whole thing was just shelved because of uh, financial concerns. And now, it's still not built, but they're in the process of actually building it. Uh, I think it started yeah, back it's, it's in 2007. It's almost like an inside joke for New York City denizens. Yeah, yeah, and I, I obviously didn't get that, but right, uh, it intrigued my, it piqued my interest. Especially, um, we had a listener write in, and uh, I'll, I'll read her email later, but uh, we'll get to that. So it's funny, that, be, it's funny yeah. because I, um, this is one of the first uh, kind of, uh, kind of personal moments for me because I've been dealing with a lot of realtors, obviously selling a house, <laughs> buying a house. Uh-huh. I fucking hate realtors, and <laughs> oh no. You know, even when you have a good one, it's, like, hard to tell sometimes if they're really on your side. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, professional liars. So when they say <laughs> something like, oh, you don't want to – I mean, it, at the end of the day, they want you to spend and give up money as fast as possible so they can get that 7%. Yeah, sure. Because you giving up $10,000 doesn't mean shit to them compared to when they're selling a $200,000 home, you know? That ten thousand dollars is important to you. That's just like a t- you know one twentieth of their commission check that they're going to get. Yeah, and they they just want it in their hot little hands, <laughs> and they just they just very much describe this and like you know kind of pe- Peggy got whiplash with like you know stop overthinking it. This is the only apartment for you. Ah, it wasn't meant to be. It's like you hear that bullshit all the fucking time. Yeah, yeah, and she just got railroaded into buying, oh. bidding on this apartment. And when their gambits don't work, it's always your fault. And when their gambits do work, it's like they're they're unsufferably smug about it. Oh, Lord <laughs> Almighty. 30% of our audience gone. All realtors. <laughs> yeah, they're all realtors. <laughs> and by the way, I pronou- made sure to pronounce that with a small – if you could hear the the, the lowercase r, uh, realtor. <laughs> it, it's, it's realtor, not realtor. It's realtor. So okay. there's another little jibe at the realtors out there. Uh, how do you feel about wallpaper? Because Bobby doesn't like it. Bobby's Bobby's worried about the angles of the wallpaper in the next scene. You know that would drive me crazy too. If that's what, what it, I if I if if I fell asleep looking at mismatched wallpaper every night. <laughs> See, I think it, so. It's not this scene that does it. It's actually when they're in the movie theater and uh, Don asked Bobby why he why he, his mom grounded him or whatever. And he says it's because the wallpaper wasn't straight. It didn't line up. This kid's OCD, right? There's something wrong with him between this and the coffin statement. Like, like yeah. Betty saying that the kids are acting weird is one thing. 
because she probably brings a lot of this crazy out of them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they act a little bit weird. <laughs> yeah, they do. She's also putting crazy into them. Like, oh, Sally's behavior in this episode really got to me. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it's just really short in one scene, but we'll get to it. Anyway, so Don and Megan run into uh, the Rosens on their way out of the building. And the Roses are headed off to Washington, D.C., and the Drapers are headed to an award ceremony for um, – Megan's actually up for an award for the copywriting work she did when she was at SCDP. Uh, Don's not really paying attention to what Arnold is saying because he's staring at his wife, uh, and so he doesn't hear where they're going, and he asks twice, and then Rosen makes a comment at the end. And Yeah, Don's not very so awkward. Here. Yeah, not so smooth. Not that very often we see him this this uh, fish out of water. Uh, and also, I kind of mentioned last week how I was w- curious to see how they played the latest Draper blow up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're playing it like the nothing ever happened. There's nothing in this episode to suggest that Megan and Don just had a massive relationship conflict last week. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, granted, we've we flash-forwarded another, like, month because... Uh, mm-hmm. Dr. King got uh, assassinated April 4th in 68. I believe yeah. we were talking about early February last time, right? Uh, you might be right about that. Well, that was like a right around the, we were we, the last week was a Tet offensive, correct? And a super Yeah. So yeah, we're talking uh late late January, early February. So we flash forward about a month. Mhm. Maybe two, so maybe there's been some time to cool it. But you know, again, I'm not seeing any Megan Draper saying can't do this much more. I'm not seeing the evidence of any real change happening. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting choice. So, do you think it just would have been too much with the events of this episode to then have that conflict also draw into it? Because yeah, maybe I, I mean it. It is there a very slight bit at the end. I mean, when Megan comes in and she's kind of mad about Don not talking to the kids, you know that that tension has been there because of yeah. what we saw last episode. But you're right. It doesn't it doesn't really play out in any kind of important way in this episode. Right, right. So maybe it's, it just would have been too much for the episode to hold. I'm, I'm sure they'll get back to it, though. They've got to. Uh, so did you pick up – the first time I watched this, I didn't pick up that um, Megan was actually up for the award for her Heinz Beans commercial. Yeah. Uh, that's the one, right? Yeah, but I think it was also wasn't a, a group effort. Like the whole, it was like something the whole team got. I don't know because, I, I mean, it seemed like Peggy was against Megan in this award ceremony. But I thought well, yeah. Peggy had worked and, on the beans ad that right. they that they shot down. Did, did well, she go probably, on to make another one? I forget. Yeah, I, I don't know that you can get credit for your previous works. You know, because because yeah. I, I bet it's one of those things where your work, you know, your firm is what submits your work. Mm-hmm. You don't submit it. So why would CGC submit her for the bean stuff when it was for another agency? It'd just be advertising for them, right? Sure. So they they put her up for apparently a laxative spot. <laughs> okay, is what she's on for because Don made a little joke about tell you know tell Peggy her laxative spot is a sentimental favorite to win. Is that Which that, I thought uh, was a nice little touch. C-Core laxative or whatever it's called. I don't know. D- didn't weren't they doing that ad like in season two or something? Could be. You're 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 catching me flat footed with the season two question there, Jim. Yeah, no, I trust me, I don't remember anything of season <laughs> two. <laughs> uh 
Uh, all right, let's move on to the next scene where uh, Ginsburg's uh, not actually his father, but I'm going to call him his father for the sake of brevity here. Uh, his father sets him up on a date with a girl named Beverly. Uh, I forget her last name, uh, but apparently she was some kind of important family because Ginsburg immediately knew who she was when he mentioned her, her name. I'm her so family. close to breaking out in Matchmaker from Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> it's, it's dying to get out, man. All right. You warned me that you, it was it was. I gave you, I gave, I gave you a little ta- a taste when we first got on the uh, Google Hangout here. I'm, if you do sing it at any point, it's going to be our intro song this week. So <laughs> just, just be warned. All right, then I'm keeping it to myself. <laughs> uh, Fraber, is that her name? Beverly Fraber, I don't know. is that her last name? I, okay. I, 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 I recorded her as Beverly. Yeah, same here. Anyway, so it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, he catches Ginsburg uh, flat-footed, as you said. Uh, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I didn't. I did not set this up. And the girl's like, oh, well, he told me you did. And, and Ginsburg's kind of mad about it. Uh, he's got to shave. He's got to get ready. He's totally unprepared. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Ginsburg is so awkward in some ways, but so on point in others that it's yeah. hard for me to read what he's feeling sometimes. There was a lot of speculation, and I kind of wondered, too, but it's like, is he... Could Ginsburg be gay? Is he asexual? Nah. Is he just Not like one of those? Date. Is he just one of those weird dudes that, like I said, is, is kind of asexual because he's got the whole alien thing, and you know, he, <laughs> he he's really interested in that guy talking to Doctor King's ghost. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I, I had the same thing. You know, it was like I felt like his old man did a solid job hooking him up here, mm-hmm. uh, and it was yeah, kind of good-looking hit- girl. Yeah, and she seems like you know relatively together, and yep. you know not she's a, a teacher. She's got a, a what I would consider a good job. Doesn't seem to be you know too spazzy or flighty or bitchy. I mean, definitely yeah. def, definitely second date material, right? <laughs> sure, especially for Ginsburg, who apparently is not interested in dating. I'm super interested part. to see if we ever see her again. What's your yeah. What's your thoughts? Uh. Ah, man, that's a good question. I want to say we will because I think maybe the speech that he gives, the speech that his dad gives him later kind of sunk in a little bit Mm -hmm. uh, with, like, kind of needing to be together during the turmoil or whatever. Right. Um, I think that might have hit him a little bit, and he kind of realizes, yeah, maybe I do need a girl because I can't sew and I can't cook, and uh, he doesn't want to order Chinese food for the rest of his life, so... (laughs) <laughs> maybe i don't know I, I think we'll see her again all right i disagree i think we'll never see her again really okay yep. so flash forward another month mad... next episode and she's gone yep never mention <laughs> okay uh next next scene is don and megan arriving at the award ceremony uh megan is introduced to jim cutler who's the president of cgc uh, she's introduced to him by Peggy, and Don then is introduced to Randall Walsh by Roger. And Randall Walsh. Oh, my God. Piece of work. <laughs> For sure. I mean, so I immediately recognized him as Ethan from Lost. I was like, oh, my God, it's Ethan. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. he was one of the others that yeah, infiltrated. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I know who he is because I, I was still watching at that point. Okay, um, cool. But I I didn't didn't realize that was him. 
Oh yeah, man, that was him. Uh, they were making a joke on Seppenwall's podcast that he's Tom Cruise's nephew or cousin. Is that no. true? <laughs> no, it can't be. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He looks I, like him I in a weird way, res- though, doesn't he? Kind. I mean, I don't know. a little bit, a little bit. I don't know. Is he cruisy? In a distorted sort, like wacky funhouse mirror sort of way, a Scientology weirdo kind of way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, it, it, so Jim Cutler, my God, he's he's immediately perving on Megan when she's over there. Yeah, uh, what do you mean? He's sitting right next to his wife too, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, creepy guy. Uh, although everybody at that table is creepy, Peggy's sitting there surrounded by creeps. Uh, she's lucky Abe shows up when he does. Uh, but we'll get to that. Uh, actually, no, it's right here. Uh, Teddy shows up, and he's perving hard on Peggy. At least in my opinion. I mean, that was your take too, right? Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's totally interested in Peggy more than just as a a good, solid worker. Dude, I just looked it up. Uh, William Mapother is first cousins to Tom Cruise. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. So there you go. Wow. A little inside ball there. Anyway, continue. Okay. So, so yeah, my take on Teddy is he's totally interested in Peggy. Um, I mean, he sits down at the table, and he immediately ignores his wife. and Like a total when, like, asshole to his wife. Yeah, completely. He's like, shut dismissive, up, I'm talking to Peggy. D- d- dismissive, demeaning, mm-hmm. many other D words that are bad. Uh, yeah, did, did not like that dynamic at all. And then uh, when the- Abe comes in, he's like, you're in my seat. And he goes, oh, I didn't know. And he tries to be all polite. And then when he sits down in his real seat, he looks back as the lights go down, gives Abe like the dirtiest look. Yeah, I. you think it was dirty look? I, I thought it was like, uh, like, I'm so proud of you look at Peggy. No, no, he wants, he totally wants Peggy, and Abe is totally in his way. Uh, I don't know. In fact, I'm totally. debating whether this was inappropriate. Like, I can't, I can't tell if Teddy what? is just, if he's into her professionally, if he's, or if he's going to try to bed her. Oh, you're crazy. He's definitely going to try to bed her. That's just not done. You don't, she's a partner, right? I don't know that she's actually a partner in that firm. I thought we just had this conversation last week. Did we? Yeah, where she's not, she's a junior partner, but still. And I was like, I just feel like name partners shouldn't fuck junior partners. <laughs> Call me crazy. Just because it shouldn't happen doesn't mean it won't happen. Well, that's that's very true. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, moving on, Ginsburg makes some extraordinarily awkward small talk on his date. And he thinks he's blown it. Um, until Beverly tells him that he's very handsome, and then he he gets back in the game. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I thought this date was pretty funny. I mean, the way Ginsburg is just like vomiting words here, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I've never even had sex, not even once." <laughs> and it's just like you didn't need to say that. You could have stopped before you said that. Sure. I just looked it up. Peggy's not a partner. She's a senior copy chief. Okay. Uh, Apparently, CGC. Uh, but once she tells him that he's handsome, he's like right back in there. Yeah. I, were you surprised to hear that Ginsburg is a virgin? Uh, not entirely. No. I mean, once he said it, it kind of made sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Hmm, interesting. I mean, he's, he's very career-driven, right? I mean, he's living with... Where's he going to go to have sex? But where's in New this York guy going? City, I mean, he's this creative-driven weirdo type. I mean, as as uh, Beverly here points out, he's not entirely ungood-looking. In fact, if I'm judging from my uh, Facebook feed, uh, bo- both personal and professional, I've n- had numerous women say that they find uh, the old Ginsburg is <laughs> is suitable mating material. So I'm kind of surprised living in New York City during this period of time that he hasn't found a way to uh, hook up, as it were. Yeah, but you got to consider his his life at the moment. I mean, he's he's totally dedicated to, to his to? work. <laughs> you, you must. Okay. Uh, totally dedicated to his work. He's living with this guy who's like an adopted father or whatever. Uh, yeah, living living with your father that is that is rough. Yeah, he, he seems like sex is the last thing on this guy's mind. All anyway. right, I'll buy that. Okay. Uh, but once he's told he's handsome, yeah, sex is the first thing in this guy's mind. Yeah, we we actually mentioned that last season because when he was talking, when whenever he would talk like sexuality and romance in ads, it was almost like a very clinical. You know, like, like, and remember when that one girl was vamping on the table? It was one of Megan's actress's friends for the Jaguar ad, and she's acting like a Jaguar. And uh, every man in the room is locked on her, and he was more interested in observing, like, Megan and Don just kind of interacting. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, he seems almost immune to sex appeal, <laughs> except into, like, oh, yeah, I observe it's happening kind of way. Yeah, he, he acknowledges it intellectually yes yeah it's something you can quantify (laughs) uh let's move on to paul newman coming on stage uh he's apparently backing gene mccarthy for president but uh before he can finish his speech he's interrupted by an announcement that martha martin luther king jr has been assassinated Mm, pandemonium ensues yeah Uh, i don't know i wouldn't call that pandemonium i would call that in a professional setting like that, a whole it, someone yeah. standing up and said, "Who the hell said that?" That's pandemonium. Yeah, I guess I I've never experienced real good pandemonium in my life. Well, I need, I I need mean, a good moment of pandemonium. I think. I mean, if people had rushed exits and they've been crushing, it would have been beyond. I don't know what's beyond pandemonium, but that's that's I, panic. I, panic. Yeah. It's yeah. like a near riot, a mob situation. Uh, yeah. But it's as close as pandemonium as the. Uh, Fifth Avenue set would get, I guess. Sure. I I thought it's interesting how anachronistic this feels, or that's not probably the right word. But the fact that these event planners were planning on keeping this news suppressed till the end, that can never, (laughs) ever, ever happen unless it's post-World War III and we bomb ourselves back to the Stone Age. Well, I mean, it's not like they got Twitter on their phones or anything, but... No, but I mean, that's just, that's one of those weird kind of, like, you know, jarring things that you could get two hours into an event and some and keep something that big from from, from people uh, being able to figure it out or even oh, know about it. so you're saying that it could happen in that time period. And yeah, it, and but it never... To, it's to like an impossibility now, yeah. for today. Yeah, it would sure. have had, you, Within moments, someone would have checked their Twitter because they're bored <laughs> and it would have gotten around the room. Oh, come on. Paul Newman is a very engaging speaker. <laughs> <laughs> Not when you have to have binoculars to see him. True, true. His Joan magnetism... Puts on glasses, everything. It, his magnetism only works from... Oh, that was adorable, too. <laughs> yeah. Joan She's wearing, got the horn-rimmed... Yeah. Yeah. She's like uh, got rocking hipster glasses. Yep. 
Very cool. As you said earlier, uh, this this event obviously firmly plants us on April 4th, 1968. Uh, There's an announcement that they're going to take a short recess and they'll be back uh, for the rest of the event. Anyway, we go on to Ginsburg's date again. Uh, well, actually, no, he's coming back from his date and it because it was interrupted by the announcement as well. Um, and I think this is a scene where he tells his father about what happened. This no, where he comes back that, and he turns on the TV? Or is that no, we, we cut a brief scene to them in the diner where we see it oh, first yeah. happening and then the... Uh, the bus boys, like one of them drops a dish and they're consoling, you know, obviously they're visibly distraught about the news. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, everybody's I thought that was shocked. a pretty good moment too. Yeah. 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 Uh, especially with Ginsburg sentiment there, like they had to do it, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess that's something that I did not know that it seems among a lot of, uh, his admirers that this seemed like an inevitability. Yeah. Well, earlier he was giving a speech, uh, which, he basically acknowledged, yeah, this is likely to happen. Mm. Uh, I, I don't remember how long before that it was, maybe a couple months. Right. So, I mean, yeah, he definitely knew it. I think a lot of people knew it. Um, and who is it that says that in this episode? Is it Phyllis? Uh, says that to Peggy? Yes. Yep. Okay. Um, all right, let's move on to the – let's go over to the Francenstein's castle. <laughs> uh <laughs> Where they're listening to the news, and Henry's in a rush to get out because he's got to go over to the mayor's office because uh, the mayor's worried that – or actually, no, Henry's worried that the rioters are going to burn down the city. Yeah, they got the pitchforks and the torches. They're coming after him for making that monster. Yeah. <laughs> it's an ugly, ugly scene. For sure. Um, so this is vaguely heroic, right? I mean, he's rushing in the harm's way to try to cool down help the mayor cool down a potentially explosive situation. Yeah. And during my research, I actually did uh, some reading on Lindsay, like mayor Lindsay and what he did during that time period. Yeah. And it's, it's a pretty epic thing. I mean, he goes, he, so like the during, over the past year before this, um, he had been kind of fostering relationships with, not only the the influential like business people and stuff in uh, the poorer areas of the city, but also with like gang leaders and things like that. Right. People who are more connected to kind of the the feelings of the people who right. live there. Um, and so when this stuff went down, he like called a bunch of those people together, and he went to Harlem and he uh, he just basically walked through the streets, um, and he talked to people and he 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 talked to people honestly. There was no prepared speeches, no bullshit. He he just said – he apologized. He said, we're very sorry for this, and he just tried to, like, identify with the people. He read My pot, Pet Goat. <laughs> yep. Uh, very very <laughs> effective right at calming riots, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was actually – yeah, it was pretty epic, and he just led this march of people through, like, 125th Street for several hours and just kind of calmed everybody down. And there were no riots in New York. As a, well, there were pockets of very small disturbances, but no major but riots. what it could be. And exactly, I, yeah. Or were other – I mean, did you get any research in other cities? Because I felt like, like yeah. Chicago and L.A. Yeah, had they got much rioting. Worse. Yep. Because their politicians were cowards apparently. And uh, also the thing was that New York was expected to have worse riots. Everybody was worried, oh, my God, what's going to happen in New York now? 
Sure. And he he was basically able to, with the will of the people, keep that from happening. That's pretty heroic, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, if you if we're to believe that Henry Francis had anything to do with that, then, yeah, that would make him a heroic character. And, and we've always seen... Certainly brave. Like, Henry... Henry's a good guy, right? I mean, I we think don't Henry hate Francis Henry in any way. No, Fran- Henry Francis is a good guy. He deserves better than Betty. Ah, oh, tell arguably. me about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he rushes off, and he's going to go help the mayor. And then we go over to um, Abe and Peggy in the, the auditorium or whatever outside in the lobby. Everybody's trying to make phone calls. Pete's yelling at people, hey, I, I, got, I need a phone call, too. Um, but Abe's been hired to cover the story for the New York Times. Go do some combat journalism. Exactly, yeah. And he's he's undoing his tie. He's like, I got to rush off to Harlem in a tuxedo. <laughs> and he leaves Peggy behind in the theater. Uh, and Pete and uh, uh, Pete leaves, and Don and Megan offer to take Peggy home after the ceremony. Uh, it's better. It's better tuxedo than the controversial Bruce Willis get up. Bruce that Willis. That some were rocking that day. Or uh, John McClane. The, the John McClane like Harlem a, wardrobe. A white tank top and... No, you don't remember Die Hard 3? Die Hard 3? Yeah, yeah he, with Samuel L. Jackson, right? Yeah, you don't remember how he, how they met? Oh, he was God, through. yes. Yeah, now you oh, do. Oh, no. No, yeah. you do not want to be in Harlem in that. That would be the opposite of Mayor Lindsay. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, that would be uh, a shit show. Uh, but they're talking about how they can't believe that they're still going to do the rest of the ceremony. And Don's just like, what right. else are we going to do? You, well, yeah. yeah, but I mean, at that point, I think you gotta, you gotta cancel it. Right. You would think so. Nowadays people would, they're yeah. a lot more sensitive to people's moods and reactions. And the fact that people just don't give a fuck once, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can, you can engage in life's trivialities until something truly weighty happens and then you just don't want to do anything but process it yeah i'm as i said at the beginning i obviously was not alive during the time of this happening but it felt watching it through this episode very much like kind of the 9-11 event felt um which is something i did live through and Mm -hmm. uh, i was in my 20s at the time so it's like it, it very much felt like Everyone was reacting to this. It was such a big thing happening that no one really wanted to continue with normal life at that moment. Right, right. But to see them, like, com- just continuing with the ceremony was so weird because of that. hmm I don't know. Um, anyway, we go to the next scene. Betty's catching uh, Bobby peeling more wallpaper off the wall. And she's pissed, but she just... Kind of goes, ugh, and says, I'm, I don't want to talk about this. Which that must make you feel bad as a child if you basically your parent says, I don't want to deal with you yeah. right now. Yeah, just go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's how Betty is, right? I mean, that's just Betty's parenting skills at their finest. Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to deal with you. I'll, I'll just ignore it. And also, and she's making a mountain. Why are you destroying the house? Right. <laughs> little overreaction there, Betty. A little bit. Uh, then we go over to uh, grimy little Pete, who uh, tries... the pitiful Pete Pit. <laughs> yeah, he's in the Pete Pit. Uh, it's all dark, too. He doesn't have any lights on. He's drinking. 
Uh, he's trying to use the assassination to weasel his way back into Trudy's life. But thank God she shuts him down here. Man, you're heartless. No, uh, no, man. That's I what think that was, was happening. genuine him wanting to be with his family. Okay, so I will give you that. It's part that. But it is also part Pete being Pete. Yeah. And it being GLP. He's trying to get back. He's trying to use this event to get back into her good graces. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like... Th- so I've got... You know, my 9-11 ex- story was I was I actually worked in a high-rise downtown Indianapolis um, during 9-11. And the night before, my ex and I, my ex-wife and I, were having some marriage problems. And we had a pretty bad, vi- bad fight. Um, oh, grimy little Aaron. Grimy little Aaron. Well, I mean, I didn't <laughs> cheat on her or anything like that. Okay. It's just, you know, yeah. we were having differences. Sure, and, sure. um I remember when the it became clear that this is you know a terrorist plot and uh, you know I called her and I talked because that's kind of what you want to do. I wanted to be with mm-hmm. the people I cared about. And when I was talking to her, you know, I was saying like, you know, I don't know if I should come home. There's a lot of people leaving. I mean, do you want me there? And she's just kind of like, eh, whatever. She she was still mad from the night before and was kind of like whatevering me. Yeah. And I remember thinking, this is over. Because I was wanting to, you know, it's like, yeah, I was mad, but I still loved her. You know, I wanted to be with the people I loved and not, yeah. you know, with a bunch of assholes at work. You know, I wasn't really afraid for my life. I didn't really think anything would happen downtown Indianapolis. But, you know, that was another element of it. And I just mm-hmm. felt like that that was like, shit, this, is re- this might never work out. And eventually... It, it did go to shit, mm. but that was like, I, I kind of sympathize. God help me with <laughs> Pete Campbell that I feel like that he was expecting. And, and obviously he was much more awful and their relationship was, was, was toxic on many levels, but mm-hmm. he, he was expecting to her to have the same feelings. And uh-huh. I kind of feel like she did, but she did the stronger, maybe more mature thing and resisted giving into that. Yeah. Okay. I, I think you're right. That's like I said. That's certainly part of it. Um, and in, in some way, you can kind of feel bad for Pete here because you look around at the other people who are caught up in this, and they all have loved ones that they can they have go. Somebody, and talk even to. Ginsburg's got his matchmaking dad. Yeah, and Beverly. I mean, he's he's got people around him. Pete doesn't at this point. So right. you're right. Maybe I maybe I do feel a little bit bad for Pete in this mm. episode. Yeah, it's that's a that's something else. That's the that's the cruelest <laughs> trick the wiener has pulled so far. Yeah, I felt yeah. empathy for Pete. <laughs> well, it, it, yeah, it, it reminds me of Breaking Bad in that way that they take characters that you hate sometimes and make you feel for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially later when he lays the smack down on Harry, we'll get to that. But oh, that was righteous, right? <laughs> So I do feel a little sorry for Pete, but I'll try not to dwell on that too much. Uh, we go back to Ginsburg's house, and he's home early from his date, and he wakes his father up to tell him the news, and he turns on the TV. Uh, his father's reaction here is just to pull the blanket over his head. Um, that's not him saying, I don't care. That's him going, oh, shit, this is horrible, right? You know, I don't know, because the <laughs> okay. first time I saw it, I, I interpreted that as like, oh, this is horrible. I can't deal with it. 
Uh-huh. The second time I watched it, knowing the conversation you later had of the son, I think it's kind of like, I can't deal with you right now. Hmm. Like you're, you're almost, or you're, I, I, there's like some kind of disgust or disappointment. Like I, I, I can't believe that was your reaction to this happening. Wow. That was my, I don't yeah. know. I don't know which is right because I had both feelings. Uh huh. But again, the second one, after being colored with his kind of takedown of Ginsburg and almost calling him like a coward. Yeah. Like yeah. you should have taken advantage of that situation, son. <laughs> That's when you go and you, 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 you reassure the little ladies with your penis and make, <laughs> make more of you. Um, I just feel yeah. like that he, he was disappointed in the Ginsburg. You might be right about that. You might be right. I've tried to give him the benefit of the doubt and. Like, maybe he thought this was a horrible thing, but I think you're right. Mm. Uh, Don's watching TV, and Megan's on the phone with her father, and the news is playing, and it's saying... Talking about a large crowd of Negroes, like, another of those things that's just jarring. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, when you... It's the time. (laughs) I know, but it's still, it's like, like it's it's one of those things like, whoa, fuck, you know? For sure. Maybe they um, should have burnt down New York. <laughs> but but they say that they're writing in Washington, D.C., and Don's obviously concerned for Sylvia at that point. Yes, he is. Uh, and that's been his preoccupation the entire time. He hasn't given a shit. I mean, he goes to work the next morning, leaving his wife at home alone. No problem. And mm-hmm. then he calls up and tries to find out where Sylvia is. Yep. What the fuck, Don? Horrible. Um, anyway, so Megan's on the phone with her father, and he's applauding the escalation of decay uh, with his Marxist values, they uh, they turn off t- turn off the TV and go to the bedroom to watch the news, and we see a quick shot of the award that Megan won at the dinner. Yep, uh, which I thought was really awesome because that really shows you the mindset that they're in, right? Like she had just come off of this what should be an awesome moment for her with this win, but it has totally taken a backseat. Hey, you know, I uh, I just think also. I'm not even sure I agree with you. I don't think Megan gives a shit. Um, really? It would have prob- yeah, I don't think she cared. Um, hmm. She's moved on in her life. I think she did it out of, I guess, politeness or not to inflame the Don fires anymore than it already was. But uh-huh. um, And probably it'd be good for his firm if, if she won. But, I, yeah, I don't think Megan ever gave a shit. And she gives, like, not one one-hundredth of a shit after Martin Luther King Jr. dies. So Yeah. She doesn't give a shit about building fires either, apparently, because she thinks the rain is going to put them out, <laughs> which was pretty funny. Well, uh, is that not true? Isn't it better Come to have Come on, a... man. You'd need a pretty hard rain. Yeah. To put out a building fire. I guess, I guess. Most of the fire in a building hurt. fire is indoors. It couldn't hurt is all I'm saying. For sure. It, it wouldn't hurt, but it's not going to put out a building fire. Yeah, you're right. I actually built a brush fire in a pouring rain this weekend, and it did not do a damn <laughs> right. thing. Yeah, there's a little sizzle and steam, but it was uh, it, <laughs> that, that all that wood burning was not going to be denied. Yeah. Uh, so the next morning, uh, Don's in at work, and Roger comes in to tell him that uh, Randall wants a meeting. The guy that he met at the banquet or whatever, the award ceremony. Uh, Don tries to reach Doctor Rosen on the phone, but he's not available. And leaves a no message message, which I, uh, yeah, I thought he could have gotten away with leaving a message. Honestly, I um, thought it was better that he didn't because 
whatever he was going to say, I don't probably think he come out, out weird. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So good um, call for him not leaving a message. I want to rewind to hit, uh, to Roger and Don's conversation. Yes. Where good. Roger came in like really thoughtful and said, you know, I thought his talking could save him. Mm-hmm. Which I thought is interesting because does he think of himself and Don in those terms? Absolutely. Like if you're eloquent, you can talk your way out of anything. That is Roger, right? He's made a what, living on talking and, to people. And Don talks himself out mm-hmm. of the uh, out of many a, a tough situation. For sure. All right. Well, I'm glad I'm not alone on that because I got the clear idea that that gave Roger pause. And that's also something weird to understand that this is a, another larger theme of Don's uh, downfall. Uh, are we – do we have any uh, – is there any connection with Dante's Inferno this episode? I felt I like don't think so. No, I'm not. I'm not seeing it either. I kind of. I'm. I'm worried about the theory being a little, a little shaky. Yeah, it might be. This I... is dead. This is dead man's coffee part due. <laughs> dead man's brew part due. <laughs> okay, let's go over to Peggy over at uh, CGC. She's she gets into the office and Phyllis is there. They're waiting for her, uh, and Peggy talks to her about the, about the assassination and. She sees that she needs a hug, so she goes in for one. Yeah, a genuine, and, uh, a nice genuine hug, right? A perfectly genuine hug, something appreciated and, and comforting. Probably also appreciated. She gives her the day off. Mm. Uh, yeah. So keep keep this vision of this hug in your mind, like yes. firmly planted there. This is this is hug <laughs> A. We're gonna have a blind. <laughs> we're gonna have a blind hug test. Yep. This is sample A. For sure. Compared uh, to the leading competitor's hug later. <laughs> <laughs> so we go back over to the uh, Francis mansion where Henry and Betty are talking about the riots. Uh, he tells her about his experience with Mayor Lindsay and that he has to go back in there uh, and help out some more. Uh, and I kind of already explained everything I wanted to explain about. Yeah, uh, interesting. What did you night. think? I got the impression that Henry was not did not approve of the cutting deals with the militants, uh, the gang leaders and whatnot that you talked about, that he was against that strategy. But you made it, made it seem like that was one of the things that saved the day. It was. It was certainly one of the things that saved the day. Now, whether or not Henry Francis believes that it was a good thing to do may be a different story. But you think I was interpreting that correctly? Uh, I think you might be, yeah. All right, all right. Yeah, I, he... I, what was his tone? His tone was kind of annoyance there right well i mean this but later this seems to be the thing that galvanized him to like you know to to take more political action or to make something more of himself that's why i thought yeah you're right yeah so i don't know maybe he is on board maybe he and is this his body language he wants to change it right right uh, we go over to what I consider one of the best scenes in this episode. Uh, Pete and Harry, their little confrontation, where uh, Harry only seems concerned about the money that's being lost to uh, the special broadcast interruptions and the rioting. And Pete is disgusted by all this. And he tells, he just flat out calls Harry a racist right to yeah, his he face. Does. A bona fide. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bert tries to calm the situation by demanding that they shake hands and apologize, but. Uh, Pete is not done with Harry. He's got his teeth in. He wants another bite. Uh, so he goes and he just tells Harry off again. Uh, Seems to get the last word, too. 
he oh he definitely gets he gets all the words. There were no words coming from Harry that made any sense here. <laughs> it was all money. Is Harry a racist? Uh, Harry well, certainly doesn't view himself as a racist. Uh, but but that doesn't mean a shit because there's a lot of people that don't view themselves as racist or yeah. homophobes or whatever today, and they very clearly are. So sure. do you think Hen- Harry is a racist? Is he a casual uh, he, racist, a closet racist, a virulent racist, uh, a moral racist? What, what kind of racist are, are we talking? But uh, my opinion of Harry in this scene is that he may be a little racist, but he's also just concerned about money. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's about the dollars. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially the the episode last week where we saw him accepting that twenty three thousand dollar check with glee, just pocketing it saying, yeah, I'm not giving this back. <laughs> this is mine now. Uh, and talking about how much money he's made for the company and how much he deserves and earns. I think that's more his thing here. Um, but he does come off in a very callous way, and especially when Pete reminds him that, look, this is a this is a husband and a father that just died. Why aren't you more broken up about this? So let's talk – let me ask another angle – how much of Pete's righteous anger was really righteous and how much of it is subtext for other things? I think that probably 80% of his anger in this scene is righteous anger. He is, he has always come out as kind of liberal in those ways. Well, and also uh, more so I than think, anybody I think else season, in SCP. season three, he tried to come up with the idea to actually market uh to african americans uh-huh you know he's like you know this is a market that nobody's really trying to capture and he was kind of ridiculed and shot down but he, and and also yeah they have hinted to him having liberal politics and um yeah. coming from a long line of, of of democrats and i know he took uh jfk getting shot very hard yeah him and trudy both so yeah i, I feel like but i know where you're going with this what's the other oh 20%? where am i going I'm going to give you the opportunity to say it. 20%. Frustration with Trudy. Yes. And I think that the way this speech was structured gives a hint to that because he mentioned to Trudy that this was a sh- this is a shameful day. It's a shameful day. Yeah. And then he repeated that like at 10 megaton volume to <laughs> Harry, which, you know, that the echoing of that catchphrase, I felt like it was a tip off that maybe even more than 20% was frustration over mm-hmm. him and, and Trudy. And the fact that he'd rather be at home with his daughter and his wife that he's disgraced than at home than wrestling with a pig at work. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, caught hints of that for sure. Um, let's move on to uh, Dawn. Dawn, Dawn comes in the office and she's there to see Don to uh, to explain why she was late and all that stuff, uh, transportation issues. And they tried to reach her on the phone the night before and they couldn't get a hold of her because the phones were down. Uh, Don tells her that she can have the day off. And that's when Q, uh, hug B exhibit B in this hug, uh, <laughs> trial. The leading competitor's hug. Joan comes in to say that the partners are closing the office early out of respect. Uh, but the three o'clock meeting is still going to be taking place. So, uh dawn sorry dawn offers to stay and work and joan gives her a very very awkward hug Mm -hmm. made even more awkward by the happenings of last episode Mm -hmm. (laughs) where she was nearly fired by joan 
Yeah. Uh, kind of tone deaf. It's like more about making Joan feel better than... Totally. Appearances. Than Dawn. Than Dawn. Absolutely. And also I thought it was highlighting the difference in reaction even amongst uh, black characters. You've got uh-huh. some that were just, you know, completely shooken up and and, una- and almost unable to do their jobs. And then some that, like, you know, I, I kind of want to plow myself into work. Now, I, the only thing is, is Dawn being genuine or is she still kind of f- uh, afraid for where she's at in her professional life because of the hmm. fear of God that Peggy put onto her? I'm like, is that a natural reaction that she's having or is that, like... I want to make sure that I'm setting myself apart from everybody else. Uh, that's an interesting question. I hadn't even thought of that. Uh, you're probably right. That factors into it a little bit. I mean, certainly there are no uh, very simple relationships here. <laughs> well, it's kind of like, I mean, I've been quoting Chris Rock all night. I did it twice in the Night's Watch cast, but oh. <laughs> he's got this really funny rift about the neighborhood he lives in. It's his multi-million dollar neighborhood. Mm-hmm. He's like, there's three other, there's two other black people to live in it. Is like Dr. Dre, okay. you know, and I think um, one of the, uh, I think is um, Serena Williams. All right. So he's like, I got, you got, you know, he goes, I'm, he goes, I might not be the best comic, but I'm all right. You got one of the living music legends in the world and one of the living athlete legends in the world. He goes, do you know who my neighbor is? My, my white neighbor? He's a fucking dentist. He isn't the greatest <laughs> goddamn dentist in the world. He's just an average run-of-the-mill dentist. He's yeah. like, black man's got to fly to be where the... <laughs> and it's like, I wonder if there's some of that, that like Dawn feels like she's got to uh-huh. be superwoman to get to where even, you know, the, to get to where Peggy or, or Joan has gotten. Yeah, I mean... I'm sure that's in there, but if you look at last episode where she's talking to her friend in the diner, um, she seems like she's she's a lot like Ginsburg in this way, that she's more concerned with her career than much else, right? I mean, she's not meeting a whole lot of guys around. We found that out last yeah. episode. So maybe this is just her focus. Um, and, it, and it's not necessarily that she's trying to prove anything. It's just that she doesn't have much else going on. Yeah, but, it's interesting how many different interpretations you can have the character on the characters. Yeah. And I wonder if I wonder if events later on in the season will prove any of us right or this is just going to be you know, it, it's kind of like there's so much layers and textures on a Mad Men episode that not all of it pays off. Sure. Some of it is just you know, they spend a lot of detail on the characters and everybody gets this kind of this kind of treatment. Yeah, even characters like I mean, these are the secretaries of the main characters, yeah. and they're getting a lot of screen time. Hell yeah! So and a lot of development. That's I mean, got... the more development than any Walking Dead character has gotten, right? Yes, and it's got to be it's got to be significant that they're contrasting Phyllis and Peggy yeah. and Dawn and SCDP. Uh huh. You know, it's like one. There's there's some significance here. I'm not sure what exactly it is. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the meeting with Randall. Oh, my God. Uh, Randall comes in for his meeting. He pitches a what I consider a very offensive ad for his 
<laughs> what is it, real estate or property management company? I don't know. He's an insurance. He's selling insurance. Yeah, okay, insurance. So he's, he's, he's basically shaking people down uh, on the fear of a black rage epidemic or something, right? Yeah, yeah. He's saying, like, buy insurance because here comes a freaking Molotov through your window. Yeah. <laughs> like, Ra- race wars, baby. They're coming. And Dr. King's so the one that offensive. told me to do it. I know. Oh, it's horrible. So, so him and Roger are tripping buddies, right? Yeah, that's yeah. We, only explanation. So, it, absolutely, that's right. Because later we get a reference where Roger says, like, he, he talked me off the side of a building. He talked me off no, the ledge well, at one point. Well, he talked him off a roof. Was that a literal roof or I metaphoric think, roof? No, I think that's a literal roof. I think they were <laughs> tripping and Roger, Roger got up standing naked. Bare ass, he was yeah. standing bare-ass naked on a ledge. Exactly. And Tom Cruise's cousin is like, I don't know if this is a good idea. <laughs> The future ghost uh, of, of Dr. Martin Luther King is telling me to get yeah. off that ledge. Oh, uh, yeah. Or no, he, he recited Tecumseh to him. <laughs> hey, yo, yo. <laughs> Which is also incredibly – I mean, who's he kidding with that shit? I don't know. Is this guy insane or is he on LSD at the time? I don't know. That, He's got to be on a drug because Roger makes a joke about that. That is – like, that's – yeah. The emotions yeah. of the day or whatever other substances you have You're in your body. You're on, right. But that's incredibly offensive. I mean, totally. Granted, Native Americans are the one freaking uh, social group that you can just openly be racist nowadays, and nobody gives a shit. Apparently, yeah, you can name but, ball teams after him. Yeah, of, after of, offensive of, ra- names. Of, of offensive racial slurs. Yeah, but, right. Um, it still is kind of jarring, and although I do love Stan's reaction. <laughs> he's just laughing because yeah. he's high at the time. You can tell. Oh yeah, he is. But he's trying really hard. He's probably thinking, "Oh, I'm in, I'm maintaining like a pro." <laughs> but in this room, he doesn't even have to maintain <laughs> because that guy's crazier. No, I I want to get a gif of that happening and like make it my de- my my phone background. Awesome. <laughs> I'm losing his shit. And Don's got a good crack in here too. He's like mm. when when he says to like think about this, or he says you don't want to think about this. And Don's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I, don't I don't want, want to think, think about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good, so yeah, good, excellent scene. Like once Don realizes that not only can he insult this guy, but the guy is not even aware of it. It's like uh-huh. oh, op- gloves off, open season. So I'm not even going to bother. The only thing that's weird about this scene is I don't understand what place it serves in this episode. Is it just supposed to be comedy relief or is it supposed to show like exactly what the guy said, the fear mongering that happens? Yeah, um, no, I think it works on both levels. I think you're exactly okay. right. It's it did. It's the one arguably one little piece of sugar that that uh, kind of lightened the load and also it shows some really bizarre behavior and and you know this taking advantage of the the, the fear mongering and this guy off you know like we talked about he's he kind of comes across as a racist right yeah yeah even though All he's right. talking to MLK's ghost <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sure and he I, was and we already mentioned that Ginsburg was like was he sincerely into this guy's ghost or was he making fun of him too because from Man. what we know of Ginsburg i'd believe either one uh, yes yeah you're absolutely right i don't know so can't tell with that guy uh yeah, let's move yeah. on to don who's uh now at home and he's watching the fires on tv and he gets a call from betty uh so oh god this scene drove me crazy she basically guilts don into driving through 
all of the riots and shit to pick up his kids. Right. Uh, Which Betty's motives aren't pure, but on the other hand, as I alluded to last cast, Don's kind of been a shitty dad. Fine, fine. But this... Now's not the time to tag him back. And Betty knows that, and that's why she does it. Right. Because this is the moment that he wouldn't be expecting it. And so now she can get her claws into him, and even she has to understand that it is a bad idea if there are potential riots breaking out in the city to have her kids in the city. Surely she understands that, but she just wants to take a jab at him, and so she puts her kids in harm's way. And the, the worst part about it is that she then tells him how much more concerned about them Henry is. When she herself is not concerned about them, hmm. right? Well, Am I wrong actually, about this? I think I think you got that wrong a little bit. I think she's basically goading Don into like, well, Henry doesn't think it's that bad, and but and then making fun of him by saying, but then again, you would care more about your kids, wouldn't you? Yeah, it works. It's the same intent. It's just like the, the negative formulation of that. I, I mean, clearly she's using. You know, she's trying to get digs in on Megan. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's funny though because she's not entirely incorrect. Why not? Why would her? Why would either of them want their kids in the city at that point? Well, I'm I'm not saying that that's right. I'm just saying that she's not incorrect. With the, there's an there's quite enough truth to into what she's saying to make to guilt Don into doing it. Oh, why as far she as actually him not wants, being a father. Why she actually wants to tag him back this week and not I, – I personally think it's a selfish because, motive because Be- Betty did not know what to do with the kids. They probably were acting weird, weirder yeah. than normal because they were upset. I mean kids kids get freaked out by that shit. Yeah. You know? Um, All the wallpaper in their house is on the floor at this point. <laughs> right. She's I mean, freaking out. <laughs> but, yeah, you're a kid and stuff like this is going on and adults are looking scared and that's 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 really scary yeah so for sure um still betty is uh is super jealous of megan and it's obvious you think so why yeah because of the last comment she makes i bet you drive to canada or whatever to pick up your girlfriend yeah like i said i don't know if that's jealousy so much as just something a knife to twist in don's gut yeah I think it's jealousy, but let's move on. <laughs> All right. Um, Ginsburg uh, is sewing up his father's coat, and he gets a lecture on his piss-poor stitching. Terrible stitching from Ginsburg. Was it? <laughs> I couldn't tell. I... That's what the old man claimed, but I don't yeah. know. I mean, it's not like the thing just exploded in the flames or... Yeah, he puts it on. He's going to wear it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe it's, 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 it's good enough for who it's for, dude. That's what I'd tell him. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so he launches into some spiel about how Ginsburg needs to be uh, with Beverly and should be in her bed. He's not even sure if she he likes girls. Oh, uh, he's which, poor, he's really emotionally browbeating the poor guy. <laughs> he really is. Although being at the hands of some savage emotional browbeating from my mother, I kind of wish that she had offered to make me a sandwich at the end of it. Yeah, you know that have made the experience at least tolerable. <laughs> At least peanut butter and jelly. Come on. Yeah, after you've broken me down, at least <laughs> offer me a sandwich. It's the least you can do. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so yeah, I think that that speech hits Ginsburg a little bit. You know, maybe maybe it is time for him to get a girl who can cook and maybe. clean and all that shit for him. Maybe. 
anyway, moving on. When Don wakes up, Megan's preparing to take the kids to a vigil oh, in wait. the park. Yeah. Can I mention what a fantastic idea it is to get blackout drunk while you're smoking in bed? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, that's never ended in tragedy. Well, see, the good news is that if his place does burn down, he just blames on the riots and he he collects. (laughs) No, I think in that scenario, he is a charred skeleton, so he wouldn't be claiming shit for anything. Yeah. Well, I don't think everyone else was blackout drunk <laughs> uh, i'm actually i'm not sure about that I, I don't know that bobby yeah uh anyway so they're ta- they're going to a vigil in the park uh bobby fakes a stomach ache to stay home uh classic move bobby good move oh, yeah. although it was a little obvious a little transparent yep need uh you need the clammy hands first Mm-hmm. and don asks him exactly what his mom said at the end of that scene uh, this is the part that really bothered me with Sally because right at the beginning, um, Bobby's like kind of turned around. He's facing away from the TV and he looks back at it and Sally just jumps right on him. Says, you're not supposed to be watching TV. Mm-hmm. This, this behavior is ridiculous. I mean, she is becoming her mother, right? Well, what do you like, expect? Spiteful and exactly. Yeah. But I, it's, it's such a shame because I feel like she understood what her mom was doing in a lot of levels. Uh, last season, when she was trying to get under Don's skin with uh, his former wife, and even though she understood that stuff, she's still going to perpetuate it. Like it's still mm. going to be a thing that drives her. Well, but her. I think you're ascribing fairly adult motives to a child. I don't like, think yes. so. I think she's more adult than. It, yeah, she than acts she like it, but looks. she's still what? She's thirteen. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that she's got the awareness to contextualize the abuse she suffers at her father and mother's hands and sure, sure. You know, can 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 really process that and make adult decisions on, oh, you know, I'm I'm going to pay this forward to Bobby. I mean, I, I, it's more of a you know, an instinctual level. Like this is how you emotionally engage with people. And this is how cycles and generations of this bullshit perpetuate. That's what I'm saying. Like, she is going to grow up to become her mother. Yeah, but it's not something consciously, or, like, I don't think that it's reasonable to expect a 13-year-old girl to reason her way out of that situation. No, for sure. For sure. I I mean, I'm not saying that it's Sally's fault. I'm just saying I hate to see it. (laughs) All right. Right on. Because there's another Betty right around the corner. Uh, Anyway, so despite Betty, uh, Don finds a loophole in Bobby's punishment, and he takes him to see Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. And when it's over, Bobby asks Don some questions about it, and it all kind of seems to sink in for Bobby. And they decide they're going to watch it again. Uh, yeah, great, great show to use in this particular episode of Mad Men. Yeah, so, I mean, there are some racial undertones to the Planet of the Apes movies. No oh, you think? <laughs> <laughs> it's a fairly thinly veiled racial uh, allegory. Apparently, the book wasn't anything like the movie. Is that right? I don't. Are you Are you kidding me? I mean, yeah, I, I guess that's not a reasonable question to ask myself. Yeah, you uh, read never a read lot the book. more than I do. Okay. Never read, never read the book. I didn't even know there was a book. I didn't either until I looked it up, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, I mean, that that is a, quite an appropriate, uh, choice of movie here. Um, I actually thought, so, there, there's a scene coming up, um, where they're still in the theater, and Don is reading this paper, and it's called yeah. Ape. Yeah. This is, like, this is a promotional thing that they printed up, 
yes. uh, for the promotion of that movie, uh, which was like all of the history of the movie and like the very cool idea, the wars that went on and like all that. Sure. Stuff. Yeah, uh, it sounded really awesome. And I surely they didn't get their hands on original copyright. They just reprinted oh, I'm it. I'm sure they probably just mocked one up. But okay, I gotta say that I don't know because other people's opinions differed. I feel like. When Don is forced to do it, he's a really good parent. Like he, gotcha. he connects with these kids on a very adult and instinctual level that Peggy or that that Betty just can't. Mm-hmm. And it's a damn shame that he runs from that responsibility uh, rather than embracing it. Because goddamn, the kids need. Uh, well, I was gonna say non crazy parent, but he's he's you know crazier <laughs> than a what is it than a shit house hen. Uh, <laughs> uh, they're both broken people. That's why they're doing what they're doing to their kids. But it's just a shame because when Betty, even when she's good with her children, like when I guess at the end of uh, the episode where Sally blossomed into a woman, mm-hmm. there's still something very kind of manipulating and gross about it. Yeah. Where when Don is just like, I felt like John Hamm did a very good job of just conveying pride at his son's maturation. And being able to appreciate this movie. Yeah, absolutely. And that's certainly what we're supposed to get out of this scene, given his speech later. Um, Let's keep it moving. Abe's working on his article when Peggy gets a call from her realtor. It's bad news. She didn't get the apartment. (laughs) It wasn't meant to be. It used to be the apartment. (laughs) It's the only apartment in New York City for you, but it wasn't meant to be. So, Yep. Uh, But she gets kind of a nice moment here when she tells Abe about it and he's happy and he says that he doesn't want to live on the upper east side anyway the the reason that this is a nice moment is because abe actually opens up and gives an opinion on anything right yeah i mean that's what she's been wanting from this guy and he didn't feel like he deserved an opinion in this because he wasn't putting any money into it Uh, and also it was the first time where I get. I think Peggy saw that he saw a long-term future. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, kids and all that stuff. And like, I thought the best part of the episode, for mm-hmm. my money, was her little moment on the sm- on the couch where that kind of sunk in, and she just kind of basked in the glow. Uh, yeah, she was basking in something. I think she was basking in uh, her, her her hormones uh, a little bit. <laughs> See that little collar tug? Yeah. Yeah, my girlfriend said that at that moment, you could actually see the exact frame where she went baby crazy. <laughs> when Pretty much. She just she snapped instantly into baby crazy. Yeah. Um, another little inside ball for, uh, I, I gathered from listening to Alan Septimal's podcast, is if Peggy and Abe end up pursuing their path or they go and they fix up this neighborhood they're talking about, that it actually will be a fantastic investment. Oh, okay. As opposed for waiting for the subway to nowhere in an all-white enclave. <laughs> uh-huh. Gotcha. All right. So good things in their future, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so between the, the movies, the showings of Planet of the Apes, Bobby talks to one of the custodians at the theater, and he tells them that everyone likes to go to the movies when they're sad. Uh, and this is kind of a moment of realization for Don. Was this good or bad? Like, I felt like the usher was just like, the usher just didn't have the, 
Uh, what was his reaction? I thought his reaction was one of, I didn't expect this kid to understand any of what's going on here. Huh. See, uh, I, I kind of thought that too, but I also thought maybe it was more of, uh, I don't got time to humor you today, kid. This is not the day for me to be like, yeah, thank you, sir, for really? your kindness. I don't I don't know. I, again, it's one of those things where I felt like I've said this ten times. I could go either way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's fine. If that's your interpretation. I'm sure there are a thousand other interpretations out there, too. So Indeed. if anybody has one, please send them in on all these scenes. Uh, we have a lot of feedback, actually, from last week's episode, which we need to get to. We're running a little long here. Yep. Uh, this is so, a talky episode. Sorry. It is. Uh, Betty's in bed. She's reading uh, some sort of book. I didn't catch what it was. But Henry comes in to tell her that he's been offered a seat in the state senate, and Betty's happy. Henry's taking the full Carsetti turn. What does that mean? Mayor Carsetti from The Wire. Uh Oh, uh, Little... Little finger, uh, little yeah. finger, yeah. Okay, <laughs> cool. Uh, so after Megan puts the kids to bed, she chastises Don for not talking to them about what's happening. Rightly so. Yep. And Don kind of has this uh, moment with her where he tells her about how he feels as a father seeing his child as a person for the first time, like like mm. really understanding that relationship. <laughs> Yeah, man, I totally empathize with this, too, because I was worried about myself being a cyborg. I do this a lot. <laughs> like, I remember when we were all waiting for my grandma to die of cancer, everybody's crying in the room, and I'm sitting there like, I don't feel shit. Am I a monster? Am I a psychopath? And when she finally died, I did finally have some, you know, I, I, I bawled and had a classic human grief response. I'm like, thank God I'm not a monster. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing with my, my, my son was conceived. But your I'm relief like, overpowered your grief. In that, <laughs> in that yeah, that's the look into the mind of a serial killer. Oh, uh, then, then when my son was conceived, the same shit. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is exciting. Oh, can you? are you excited? Oh, of course I'm excited. How are you excited about having a son? I'm so, see the ultrasound. And like, oh, yeah, this is, oh, I can't, well, it's so beautiful. And I'm the whole time thinking, I don't feel anything. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with me? Uh-huh. And then finally, thank Christ, when the kid was born, my black heart beat a few times, and I fell in love, and the rest is history. But I totally get what Don was saying. Yeah. That it's not – that's not – I'm sure there's parents – I'm sure the majority of parents feel that from the get-go. But mm. I think others, it, it's it's more of a, a subtle thing where it almost can kind of take you by surprise. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend that I have any experience in this either. This this whole episode, I have no knowledge of any. <laughs> you of the are the cyborg. You you really are the Terminator. Uh, I am the Terminator. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I can totally see what you're saying. I mean, it Why makes sense cry? that 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 this thing that just kind of drools and poops wouldn't elicit a response until you can actually understand it and it can understand oh, yeah. you. That's a dirty little secret. Babies until they're a good six months old are basically human larva. Yeah. You got to keep them alive. You should. You, you can't let them die. But that's about it. Yeah, but this uh, this was a fantastic scene, even from coming from someone who doesn't have kids. So. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's, it's Emmy-worthy. For sure. Uh, so we go back over to GLP, who gets uh, some Chinese food delivery. Uh, in, in 
in a very weird moment between him and the delivery guy, right? Like well, he's tr- yeah. I, I don't what know is, what's, what's going thought? on in Pete's head here. It's like he's trying to sympathize with someone who is not the same race as him. Well, plus, uh, not yeah, not only but, that. But the guy but... I don't think speaks English. No, which <laughs> so... he finally appreciated. But yeah, okay. But but the other thing is, so like, there's two levels of absurdity on this scene. One, Pete sent a man out into a riot to fetch him food, <laughs> and then asked him, "So are things calmer out there? Or are people still being killed in the streets?" Oh, I thought that was one interesting thing. And then yeah, two is, do you think this was a callback to? I can't remember season one or season two, where they played a joke by having. Oh. Having Chinese guys occupying his office, and he storms out. He's like, "Why are there Chinamen in my office?" <laughs> Do you think that was like a callback to that? Uh, it very well could be. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I, I just I just thought it was classic Pete to send a man out the war zone to fetch his general <laughs> sows and then ask him for an update from the front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rough justice, Pete. Uh, uh, but then he gets his own sort of justice, standing in his empty apartment. Uh, oh. cradling his Chinese food. The pathetic, pitiful Pete Pit. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, and then we go over to Betty, who realizes that she's going to have to lose a little more weight to fit into her clothes when Harry becomes a senator. Yeah. Well, so I'm questioning, is this Betty cracking under the, oh, shit, I'm going to yeah. be, have to be, I'm, I'm you know, because Henry's like, I can't wait for people to meet you. Is she like, oh, shit? Or is this a steely Betty resolve that I'm going to fit in his goddamn dress? <laughs> I does I don't think Betty has steely resolve except when it comes to torturing her children. She's I think got plenty of that, it, right? I I I think this is her cracking again. Honestly, yeah, that's kind of what I'm afraid of too. Downward spiral. She looks at the hair. She looks at her dress, and she's thinking, "I don't even know who I am." We'll know for sure if she gets a peroxide out next episode. Yeah. Uh, then we go over to Don, who tells Bobby to go to sleep, but he can't. Uh, because he's afraid that someone's going to shoot Henry, and Don assures him that they won't, in the best way possible, he assures him. Uh, yeah, it was saying, his, his good dad judo, because he simultaneously comforted his son and slammed Henry. Yep, perfect. <laughs> yep. Awesome. Uh, and then Don goes outside to his balcony and looks out over the streets of New York while there are sirens and uh, flashing lights everywhere. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I'm sure everyone on the planet knows this, but MLK was also shot on his balcony in Memphis. Do you think that they're alluding to any kind of trouble for Don? Uh, that would be my guess. We're supposed to draw that mental association. It's it's definitely symbolic. Okay. Um, you know, they're both talkers that thought they could say that that people thought would save them. Yeah. Um, they both have kind of like this, you know, I guess I know I'm, I'm, I'm guessing from the episode, what little I read around that they both had this kind of aura of doom has been hanging around them of late. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Okay. Well, we will see in the rest of the season. Uh, that's it for the recap. Do you have, uh, some promotional stuff you want to do? Yeah, we are part of the Bald Move Network. You can find all of our content at baldmove.com, including our full coverage of The Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, Mad Men, Justified, Breaking Bad, Downton Abbey. Uh, Also, we're not just TV here at Bald Move. No, sir. We have the Personal Arrogance crew out of Seattle talking about geek topics and beer. 
And we have the ladies at the uh, from the Bacaw Show out of LA, out L.A. Their tagline is, like your best friends, only funnier. Uh, check out their show. I encourage you. We're big fans. Uh, we always appreciate reviews and ratings on iTunes. It's really, if you're wondering, you know, those bald move guys, they spend hours every week can, making my drive to work or my my work day or my sweeping the floors, whatever. Whatever you're doing, go a little faster. What can I do? to make them happy and pay that forward. Well, if you one of the 95% of people to listen to our podcast through iTunes or some sort of Apple device, uh, take a couple seconds to give us a few stars. Um, that's the biggest thing you can do to help us grow our audience um, and make Gemini's life uh, happier and sunnier. And we'd appreciate that. Uh, you can also uh, monetarily support us by using our Amazon affiliate link at amazon.baldmove.com or clicking on the orange banner at the top of our site. And how that works is you're buying stuff on Amazon anyway, right? Might as well use our affiliate link. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything. There's no extra hidden charges. There's no extra bald move tax. It just cuts out of Jeff Bezos' wallet. Yeah. And that's how we like it. Big and old third, chunks. Big chunks. Uh, Betty-sized chunks. <laughs> Tears into his wallet like she does a bag of bugles. Yep. Uh, third and finally, if you got a friend that's into quality television or quality podcasting, for that matter... Turn them on the bald move. We'd like to have them aboard. Perfect. Why don't we do some listener feedback? Please. All right. We start off this week with Natalie Kay, who writes in and says, you guys were asking for some feedback from female listeners on what was going on with Joan when she got in, uh, got it on with John in the last episode. My take on it was that Joan regularly deals with feeling like she is not seen as a person, but is always ob- objectified, especially in a sexual sense. At the same time, although this may not make her feel good about herself, It has worked for her time and time again. Most recently, it led to her becoming a partner at SCDP. She also uses it even if the end results may not make her feel good about herself. She knows how to get that response from men and use it to her advantage. Anyways, when she's out with her friend, I got the impression that, of course, her being Joan, she knows exactly what to do, what needs to be done to get picked up, uh, but she gets tired of being just seen, or sorry, of just being seen that way and treated that way. Uh, it might even make her feel a little disgusted. So she's just there for a friend, but not into it herself. However, by the time John shows up, she has had quite a bit to drink. And I felt that when his mate said, I told you so. And he says, uh, she says, oh, what did I tell? What did he tell you? She was thinking that his response would be a lot more repulsive. Like these girls are up for it. Or this woman was huge <laughs> or has huge dot, dot, dot. Uh, so when John replied that his maid had said that he thought he'd really want her, that sounded quite touching to someone as jaded as Joan. Okay, I can buy that. Uh, Amy, yeah, I've got, yeah, I got a couple. I got a take on that, but I want to get all the the female listeners' takes first. Okay, I don't have these organized in any particular fashion. So. Oh shit! Yeah. Um, Good the luck one thing that. I was going to mention that kind of builds on uh, uh, her comment was that you know Joan also. Her last few sexual experiences have been terrible. She was married to her husband who at least raped her at least once. Yep. yep. Uh, she had to climb on top of fat, sweaty herb. Um, you know, Roger, her Roger, yeah, he kind of more or less has historically used her. Um, you know, like his, his big love letter her to her was, I'm glad I got to roam these Hills. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I just wonder, in her position now where she's made a partner and she's financially secure, if she's kind of leery about wanting the affections of men. So that 
conflict was 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 genuine. Huh. You know, like, do I really want this? I'm not sure if I want this. I'm kind of conflicted about this. Yeah. And then did she, was she swayed by the line that that guy used? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm just throwing out, like, what, what might be explanations. All right. Fair enough. Uh, let's see what Amy in Oregon has to say. She says, I had mixed feelings about Joan's odd behavior when talking, or when taking her friend out on the town. Personally, it seemed like she was just not comfortable being out yet. Remember her last sexual encounter with Creepy Jaguar Man? <laughs> uh, yes. She oh, also I lives... stole some thunder here. Yeah, you did. She also lives with her mom, uh, huge, ba- huge baby, and is recently divorced. <laughs> uh, the baby is huge. Uh, the first location <laughs> of their night seemed to be like a malt shop, so I, took, I think it took the psychedelic bar and a drink to loosen her up. I missed the flirty, self-confident Joan. Ever since the Jaguar Man incident, I can't help but feel bad for her. So I hope they're going to get they are going to get her going again with something, anything. Yeah, I mean, has her character changed since the encounter with Herb? Do you think that was a turning point for her as well? Could be, could be. It was certainly a turning point for a lot of people's opinions about her. Uh, Harry kind of vocalized that last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move on. Elise K says, I have so much to say. How to be selective. Well, Elise, I'm not going to really be selective. I'm just going to read the whole thing because <laughs> uh, we didn't get that much feedback this week. Uh, so she says, let's start with the Joan commentary. Yeah, you guys definitely need a woman's perspective. <laughs> no arguments here. Uh, here's my take as a woman with a critical mother. Yes, that's probably why I became a therapist. Joan's uh. mother hasn't really changed. It's common to be critical to her daughter behind the scenes and complimentary to her in front of an audience. This critical mother voice becomes internalized and wears on one's self-esteem. Joan really struggles with her self-image, despite her obvious beauty. It's the cheerleader syndrome. Everyone thinks she's popular and happy-looking from the outside, but inside she questions herself. Do they really like me, or is it just my figure? She may think women envy her, so she has to play the badass to get the respect. Mm. Good point. Uh, I've been watching old episodes, and I was reminded of the pilot with when Joan and Peggy connected. Joan saw something in Peggy and wanted to mentor or protect her. They have both become powerful women in their roles for the mid-1960s. Peggy has to be more of a bitch to earn respect because she does not have the drop-dead, go- uh, drop-dead good looks Joan has. But Joan's attractiveness also serves as a liability because no one will take her seriously or they'll assume she got her way to the top by sleeping up the corporate ladder. Uh, that assumption wouldn't be totally wrong <laughs> in this case. Uh, and yeah, she goes on to say, because this is truly the case, i.e. Jaguar, there is a shame in a sense that she doesn't deserve her position. So she has to assert her power wherever she can, like firing Harry's secretary, but no one takes her seriously. Remember she fired Jane the same way, but excuse me, but Roger undermined that decision. Uh, is that right? Yeah. Wow. I don't remember that. What season was that? Uh, whatever the season was before. Yeah. Season four. Um, yeah, I thought we mentioned that last week. Uh, you may have. I don't know. I probably wasn't paying attention. We're slipping. We're <laughs> slipping. Uh, okay, enough about Joan. Quick Don analysis. Love the connection Jim made about the penny under the welcome mat and the penny young dick allegedly dropped in the whorehouse. Uh, didn't see that. But remember what the whore said to him. You like to watch? Uh, you like to dance? <laughs> <laughs> Same thing Megan's writer wife swinger lady said to Don when he was at the shoot. 
Uh-huh. That's a good point. I didn't even think wow. of that. Wow. Man, the connection. Your catch fed her catch. Right? That's awesome. Uh, I think him using the same lame swoop on the woman on the bed while still wearing his suit, as he observed in Megan's scene, is just what Ted McGinley's wife said. You play many roles. Mm. He watched how Megan's character was seduced and did the same thing to Sylvia. He watched his step-aunt have sex with his sleazy uncle and has been doing the same thing. No boundaries. Sisters, neighbors, it doesn't really matter. He is a true sociopath. Compartmentalization is his M.O. He throws a fit at Megan, emotionally vomiting on her as he projects his flaws on her. He plays the role of a jealous husband when I think he has lost his love for Megan. Yeah, that's a good point. We were we were definitely seeing a lot of that last episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and she goes on, if a sociopath can even experience love. Uh, it was just an attachment to a wonderful person he saw as someone to rescue him. But when she's strong, she's no longer appealing to Don. Yep. So rescue the desperate housewife upstairs. Who's next? My turning point uh, on having more disgust for Don than sympathy occurred at the end of this episode. It was painful to watch. And when you were recapping the scene, I thought of the orange sherbet scene at the Hojo's. And a minute later, Aaron made the same connection. Uh, and then she goes on about Don's loyalty. She says, you dance with the one who brung you is fine for business, but not marriage. So he goes against his creed and gets fucked. This is what it's going this is what's going to happen in his marriage to Megan. He's going to be at the Lonely Hearts Club bar drinking his old fashioned by himself. Yeah, still curious about the PFC from Hawaii. Like the idea of Don taking his identity because Draper cannot endure. He is the devil and takes on another man's soul. First John Draper, then we'll see. Yeah, thanks for that email. That was a good one. Yeah. Uh, Made me feel smart. <laughs> me too. Christopher F. says, It's interesting how the writers position Dawn and her observations on SCDP and, by extension, white society. Uh, apparently, I guess we're moving into the latest episode. Uh, her demeanor <laughs> at work oftentimes is deferential, almost scared. She knows her job is always tenuous because of her color. Even Pete's comment about making sure we have enough black people is telling. Yet, mm. with her interactions with her friends, she becomes the commentator on the corrupt nature of white society. Actually, we're not moving into the new episode. This is stuff from the diner scenes. Uh, too much booze, cheating, etc. in the first two seasons. The Draper's Maid oftentimes played that same role of the more moral observer and got fired for her trouble. Uh, this dispels two racial, racial myths at once in such simple scenes. Dawn is a hardworking black female who stands little chance of getting higher than secretary, while the privileged barely seem to work and get all the benefits of the bullshit. Wonder if black power will make an appearance. Uh, it definitely could after last week's or this week's episode uh brian p says was just listening to your latest happy hour podcast and your music's about the same rips in the same place on their coats for both betty in the doorway and joan into having to hold uh into having to hold the waiter swinging 60s makeout bro (laughs) gave the taxi driver an address between second and third avenue on saint mark's that puts the makeout club and the squatter house not only on the same street but likely even on the same block if memory serves get me the right from the fuck doorway. out. That's crazy. Get the fuck out of here. I had no idea. Wow. Oh, uh, I think there's... Again, I feel so fucking smart right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's certainly more to that, for sure. Uh, MTW6 from New Jersey says, uh, Like you guys, when I saw the tear in Jones' uh, coat, I thought back to... Or Jones' dress, I thought back to episode one, the doorway, and the tear in Betty's jacket. Both situations involve female characters who represent the older generation and its values as they cross paths with the younger generation of men in a changing society. 
Further emphasizing this, both events took place on St. Mark's Place in the village, which was sort of a hippie heaven, counterculture mecca. Uh, the old ways of society, Joan and Betty's era, is hanging by a thread, in quotes, uh, as in something that's about to fall apart, change in an instant. Keeping with the symbolism and the torn clothing, you could say the fabric of society is about to change, which we, of course, know was about to happen slash already happening in 1968. Uh, Bam! Says, Thanks for a great podcast. Or should I say rip? <laughs> Uh, Oscar A says, much like Joan with Don, uh, sorry, Dawn, Don's arc in the episode heats up to the point of angry shortcomings with Megan. It's been an odd ride from Tomorrowland to here. Don's jealousy for Megan's soap opera kissing scene felt hypocritical at first, but upon reflection, I thought of a few things. By the time Don masochistically puts himself on the set where Megan and the actor kiss, uh, the Heinz fiasco had reached its zenith, which explains his need to blow up in her face later that day. It doesn't explain his jealousy, which I think harkens back to him as a child within the seedy brothel. Watching Don insult Megan like that took me back to collaborators in that the man of the house from his youth said something about him being the rooster, and that basically is the way it goes. Uh, Don may think the same thing, and in his decision last season to let go uh, the cheating dragon loose upon Manhattan, his ego and power has risen. He can have intercourse with anyone but Megan. Uh, no, he can have course with anyone uh, but Megan can only dream about him. It's fascinating to watch a man leading a double life become so radical in his indifferences to anything but his selfish desires. Yeah. Uh, Sylvia, God bless her, is the only angel that is trying to save Don's soul. She cheats with him, and but prays for him because she understands the acid trip Don's on himself and with Dick from his past. Uh, Sylvia is already more important and ultimately good for our protagonist than any other woman in Don's life, minus Megan. That's that'll still uh, sorry that'll instill was she real change. That Don in was gay in his younger series. years. What's that? All that dick from his past. <laughs> dick from his past. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, all right. He so, wears he wear he plays many roles. He does uh, lots of dick from his past. All right, moving on to Brian Danger. He says, I really dug the theory of one of your listeners uh, that mentioned regarding Dante's Inferno and how Don will eventually experience each circle of hell, but I think the wiener had something else in mind when he referenced Dante in the first episode of the season. Most of the criticism this season I've heard so far is that we are not really seeing anything new and Don has not grown as a person. I think that might be the point. Yeah, th I think we touched on that too. Uh, Don has not changed, and he is in his own hell on earth specific to his sins. The reference was not there to show all seven circles, but to allude to the fact that Don is going to suffer for every sin he has committed, and that is a lot of suffering. Mm. Sure is. Uh, Kedis. Oh. What? Oh, because I don't think... Is one of his... Oh, man. Is one of his kids going to die? Uh, just just after he talked about how much he's grown to you know love them, although he's been a shitty father... Yeah, you think that'd be a fitting? We've punishment? had people. We've had we've had speculation that Sai is going to be some kind of wild child, but uh -huh. you know, one of them actually dying, maybe crazy ass Bobby. He's going to peel off lead paint and eat it. <laughs> oh God! Oh, uh, that would be horrible. Why but are you it... eating the house? <laughs> uh, Ketus writes in, says, "I feel compelled to write in about what I saw as the reasoning behind Pete's blow up at Harry." Of course, he does sympathize with the African-American plight. I feel taking the cause of his outburst at face value is oversimplistic. Pete's separation from Trudy has clearly had a hard toll, and I think he, this is the true driving force behind his reaction to MLK's assassination, whether he realizes it or not. Heck yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. 
Uh, he's not calling Trudy because he's worried about her. He misses her. This is revealed when he asks how Tammy is dealing with the news. Another excuse to come home. Uh, he would, of course, known that she's oblivious. Yeah, his, right. his daughter, his super young daughter. Uh, when Trudy completely spurns Pete, he vents his frustration to Harry. To me, his emotional transference seems pretty clear. Uh, he asks how the delivery guy is dealing with the outside world, not because he has genuine concern, but he, because he's lonely and needs to connect to someone. Uh, he, of course, is forward-thinking, and you can't dislike him for showing up, Harry, but Wiener doesn't work in broad strokes. Well, I disagree with that. <laughs> Unless we're talking about all the dick from his past. Yeah, I uh, was trying to make a dick joke. It didn't work. <laughs> uh, God, are we, are we in sixth grade? We are in sixth grade. It's a little punchy tonight, I think. Uh, yeah, and, well, we're running pretty long, too, and, it's, and we're recording later than usual, too, so. Just, we're running long, like all the dick from my past. Oh, God. You had to go there. <laughs> I've probably got one more in me. We'll see. Okay. Well, there are a few more like, emails for you to work it up, so. <laughs> like all the dick from my past. Yep. Uh, Tina in Kentucky has a very long email that I'm going to try to speed read here. Uh, some comments about the role of Mad Men, of women in Mad Men. This covers this week and last week. It's a long-ass email. Uh, this episode takes place on April 4th. The show starts with Peggy looking at an apartment on the Upper East Side, home to the nouveau rich by the early 1980s. Notice how her back is turned, similar to Dawn in his office. She is looking yeah. out on New York and her future kingdom. Uh, the realtor assumes that her boyfriend is her husband and the financial backer for the property. When mm -hmm. Abe says it's not my decision, she's shocked. This alludes to the old school view that men financed everything. A similar situation occurred in Sex and the City when Miranda was buying her first apartment and the realtor kept asking if her father or husband would be co-signing for her. Ooh. Uh, last week, Joan attended the club and appeared to be just going with the flow. She was a passive participant. Uh, she does not think that she had sex with anyone in the club. Uh, her club scene parallels her role at the firm. She is not making an impact. She's just going along with the flow. Hmm. Interesting take. Uh, Bobby starts peeling away the blue wallpaper in his bedroom. Underneath the blue blue wallpaper was a yellow pattern. So it was a great allusion to Charlotte Perkin uh, Gilman's The Yellow Wallpaper. Uh, I'm oh, that's damn a book it, that I've not read. I couldn't. I wondered if there was something to that, but I couldn't tell. This not my shitty standard definition feed of AMC. <laughs> this is the last week I'm going to put up with this shit. All right. Well, she's going to try <sighs> to explain a little bit of it here. She says the ripping of the Thank wallpaper you. signifies the internal battle that Betty has dealt with the entire show. Yellow also symbolizes breaking free from the patriarchal oppression of men. Notice Trudy is talking on a yellow phone and lets Peter know she doesn't need him there. Ah, nice Is this connection. for real? Where is she getting this stuff? I assume it's from the book. Oh, okay. I don't know. Uh, for Betty being a trophy slash Stepford wife and being her authentic self collide. We will see this battle as she holds up the strapless blue dress over her yellow nightgown. Oh my God, really? Wow. Uh, a symbol of old Betty and also youth framed against liberated Betty and freedom. A new Betty has alluded to the statement made by Henry, I want to see, I want people to see the real you. This also <laughs> symbolizes a potential uh, political awakening for Betty who might join the feminist movement of the 1970s. So I think she definitely had more of the, uh, the interpretation that Betty is going to be more of the steely-eyed, uh, the steely-eyed, uh, whatever that you were talking about then then her cracking in that scene uh steely resolve yeah uh and then she goes on to talk about sally she says definitely on the road to being a lesbian <laughs> okay 
Uh, she might do it as a protest to her mom being picture perfect, or she might just want something to shake up her life. But that chick is a lesbian in training. What? I I don't know why. Yeah. Like, Where'd that come from? I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, I, I mean, if creepy Glenn that, is but... your only suitor, then I could see <laughs> switching to yeah. the other team. But yeah, or her dates with Matt Weiner's kid have turned her gay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor uh, Matt Weiner's kid. Think of all. Think of all the dick in your future, Sally. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, so immature. Ted saying to Peggy, "Peggy's the only one competing." Double meaning. Enough said. Yeah, yeah, Ted's totally onto Peggy. Uh, the murder of Martin Luther King Jr. symbolized a shift in the racial climate of the show and the time period. Wait, can I? I've, yeah. So, do you? Th- okay. Teddy makes an advance on Peggy. Yeah. You are we certain that that's going to happen this season? I'm pretty certain. Yeah. Okay. What then? What's Peggy do? Uh, that... She rebuffs him? Does she go along passively? Does she basically like do the Pete move? I think that depends on she what She has his baby and checks himself into a clinic and the baby <laughs> never is heard from again? What's... Yeah. No, I think it depends on Abe. I think if Abe continues to uh, be more involved in her life... and she I, feel like, the Abe, there, I feel like Abe slammed the teddy door shut this episode. You think so? Okay. Yeah, unless, unless, Pe- unless Peggy's really going to go down the path of Dawn. Yeah, good point. She might. Um, going over to the MLK topic, uh, the murder of Martin Luther King Jr. symbolized a shift in the racial climate of the show in the time period. The black storyline, there was almost a merger of the two worlds this season, something that we haven't seen before. Uh, this was a different reaction from last week's discussion of Vietnam, and there's nothing we can do, so let them eat cake. The host mentions, we didn't want to interrupt festivities, but it changes the tone of the evening. Yeah, Definitely. That's to say the least. <laughs> uh, remember the first season when uh, Medgar Evers dies? I don't even remember who that is. No. Uh, and Betty turns off the radio and goes about her life. Now she can't. Uh, there are two different reactions from Dawn and Peggy's secretaries regarding this news. Yep. Uh, Peggy's secretary was visi- visibly shaken and vocal about the violence that might impact King. Uh, she states, he knew this would happen, but it's not going to stop anything. This is a very powerful statement that could be viewed as militant, but also indicating the tension and eventual race riots that would color the 1970s. She accepts the compassion of her white boss while also calling out the social inequalities. Uh, expect an Afro very soon. All right. I don't know. I thought she was also kind of tough on the, uh, uh, what she call them? The rioters. The fools. Yeah, 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 the fools running. Yeah, she seemed to be in a pretty pretty uh, moderate position there. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't see radical militant... Uh, It'd be awesome if yeah. Dawn did that. Dawn did that, though. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It'd be, uh, I, don't, I don't know if that's in her character. I'd like to see her do the Pam Greer routine. Yeah. Uh, she goes on, Dawn does not want to draw attention to the issue or receive what she thinks is special attention. Dawn says, my mother said I should come in. Remember last week when she was talking with her friend about just trying to fit in and survive? She refuses Joan's hug uh, and wants to be almost invisible. She says, I'd rather stay here. Remaining in a white world where she doesn't have to be reminded of her second-class citizenship uh, as Harlem burned. These are two frames of mind that were pretty prevalent in the 1970s. The assimilation and the nationalist black person. Uh, Wiener uses, uses wordplay with the name Don and Dawn. And I believe that he is doing this on purpose. 
Don appears to bury her emotions and work and is creating a new identity at the firm. Uh, perhaps like Don slash Dick Whitman, Dawn will transform into a powerful black woman of the 1980s as Dawn slash Diana. Um, she says, I'm a black woman talking about race, but allow me to highlight something I just noticed. At the start of the show, there was a scene from last season where Don talks to Bobby about aging. Don says, how old will I be when you're 40? And Bobby says, dead. Right. Uh, Bobby's obsession with death is an umbrella theme for this show. Death represents the death of white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, the wasp that I had no idea what those initials stand- stood for last episode. <laughs> Uh, represents the death of that culture, and in particular, white heterosexual manhood. By the 1970s, three major social movements, black power movement, feminist movement, and the gay liberation movement, this is a true changing of the guard, or the death of aristocratic patriarchy. Yeah, man, deep stuff happening in the last half of this season, I'm sure. Uh, Margo. I like that take about uh, Bobby. That's that's a really nice tie-in to that teaser and the fact that he's... Looking at the coffin cases for the violin and et cetera. Yeah. Uh, Margaret writes in. She says, as a lifelong New Yorker, I wasn't sure if the Second Avenue subway joke was a little too inside baseball for a national audience. I think it was, but, yeah, you know, you expect to do a little research mm-hmm. for this these episodes. Uh, also, she says that uh, your pronunciation of uh, fellatio was off. Yeah. I, I think and you did I that on it. purpose. No, didn't you no, i just fucked up and then i'm like i'm not gonna re- i'm not gonna correct it okay well she corrects you and she says maybe you should just stick to calling it a hummer or a blowjob from now on you know what i will i'll okay. go i'll go trashy i actually shied away from referring to oral sex on a woman as cunnilingus on the night's watch because i was so this disturbed <laughs> my my this pronunciation of philatio <laughs> uh i i believe the proper pronunciation is cuddling goose <laughs> well, if it's good for the Cunningling Goose, it's good for the Cunningling Gander. That's all I've got to say about that. Oh, man. All right. Our last uh, email of the night from Louis R. Uh, I have to read this because he is from, like, the smallest town in the world where I actually lived for six months, Mount Pleasant, Iowa. Uh, he says, what? Yeah, man. You and James, that's why you are obsessed with William Shatner. The Iowa connection. Yeah, I, didn't, I never made the connection until right now. Boom. Uh, he's the one who questions who is taking care of Peggy's baby. Uh, I don't know. I really don't know. I think she just gave it up for adoption, right? What? Her baby. Oh, yeah, Peggy's yeah, baby. yeah. I, I, yeah, we're never seeing that baby again. Okay. Uh, and that's it. That's all of our feedback for the night. All right, cool. Why don't you hit me with an outro? Uh, if you'd like to add to our feedback collection, you can do so at madmen at baldmove.com. You can follow my shenanigans and my normal li- uh, Facebook threads. I'm sorry, again, I couldn't do it this week because of my moving situation. Have I given the uh, boiler apology for the potentially shitty audio and oh, yeah. my l- lack of preparation for tonight? For sure. I'm, I'm moving from Indianapolis, Cincinnati, so hopefully next week will be better. Uh, but anyway, if you want to follow uh, my live watching threads on Facebook, you can do so at facebook.com slash baldmove. You can follow Jim's similar activities on Twitter at baldmove. And I think that's it. All right. Perfect. That's it for the episode. Thanks for sticking with us for such a long episode. Such a late night. Uh, we will see you again next week for episode six. And until Indeed. then, I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. Bye, guys. Bye.